Well, this morning, guys, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, or your Bible app. If you have our church app, there's a Bible app within the church app that you can follow along with us there on the home tab. We're going to be continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we're going to be finishing a a two-part look at how God worked in Philippi, which we're covering in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40. And in part two, we're going to be trekking through a a bigger portion of scripture than we did last week. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 40, but just for some some brief context, uh, before getting to Philippi, the Holy Spirit had been leading Paul and his team, as we saw, through some closed doors. Then through a vision in the night, God gave Paul where a man of Macedonia was standing in his vision, pleading with him to come to Macedonia to help them. Paul and his team immediately concluded the Lord was calling them to go to Macedonia, that area of northern Greece, which, you know, is the area of Europe, and preach the gospel. And so they sail across to Macedonia, they make their way into the city of Philippi, and as we saw last week, things didn't look, you know, exactly like the vision that Paul had received. They went to the riverside, since there was no Jewish synagogue in Philippi, and they find a, a group of women there who, shared, who they shared the gospel with. And through that, a, a Gentile woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira in Asia Minor, she responded in faith to the gospel, and her And her whole household also heard and responded in faith to the gospel. And after that, they were all baptized after receiving Jesus' free gift of salvation. After that, Paul and his team went back to that area where prayer was made. And a demon-possessed slave girl involved in occult activities who made her slave owners a lot of money began following Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy and began crying out with a loud voice that these men were servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. And she did that for many days, crying out those things for many days. But as we saw, God used Paul to deliver this girl from the the demon who had possessed and oppressed her life and commanded that demon in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and that the name of Jesus and by the authority of Jesus, the demon came out that very hour, and it's likely that that deliverance led to this girl being brought into the family of God, even though we're not told it explicitly in our text, that that her being released from the stronghold of the enemy brought her to a place of then putting her faith in Jesus after experiencing his power at work delivering her. So far, the time of ministry in Philippi hasn't looked like the vision that Paul received. There's not been any man of Macedonia. No one's been pleading for them to share the gospel with them. They've only ministered to a a few different people here. Yet God has been working. Paul and his team have been open and yielded to whatever the Spirit of God wanted to do. They've recognized the opportunities that God had placed in front of them even though things look differently than what they expected. And these men have been faithful to point people to Jesus Christ, even though maybe what they expected is not what they were seeing presently. 
But this moment of great deliverance with this slave girl is about to turn sideways real quick, as we're going to see in the following verses as we continue on in this account. So let's continue on. Acts 16, starting in verse 19. We're going to read through verse 21. Verse 19 says, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. This now formerly demon-possessed slave girl had been trafficked by wicked men who owned her, who saw her only as a possession, who took advantage of her in her demon-possessed state. I mean, how low do you have to be to be trafficking somebody who is possessed and oppressed and whose life is completely sold over to demonic forces. I mean, that's pretty low. That's pretty bad. All they cared about was making money off of her. And I, I can't imagine what kind of existence this would have been for this girl. Yet we see the grace and mercy and compassion of God towards her and how he delivered her from the grasp of the demonic forces that had taken hold of her life. This slave girl's masters were not excited she'd been freed from her demonic possession. No, they were angry that their hopes of making money off of her were now gone. Which, you know, to me also speaks volumes to how powerful and complete her deliverance was as they could tell that a radical change had taken place in her life. They could tell noticeably that this girl was not the same as she was before and clearly in their eyes paul and silas were to blame so they seized them by force they dragged them into the marketplace they bring them before the magistrate who was you know an administrative official of the roman empire who had the highest legal authority within any city or domain but it's likely that Paul and Silas were singled out because they, they might have been the most outspoken, but also because Luke was a Gentile and, and Timothy was half Jewish and half Greek and you know may have immediately be seen as just a Greek. Because I don't know about you, but when I read this and I see only Paul and Silas being dragged before the magistrates, I'm thinking, did the other guys just like, run and hide <laughs> where did luke and timothy go like they see paul and silas grab and they just like bail like no no I, I what's going on here and we'll see in even the accusation is that there was a singling out because of the ethnicity of paul and silas the men of this city who had owned this slave girl had some real strong racial animosity against Jewish people, which is going to be clear from what they say about them. The men who had dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrates didn't like that these men were Jews. And as Jews, they were seen as troublemakers, that they exceedingly troubled 
the city of Philippi. It was an accusation that these two men were throwing the city into great confusion or disorder. And, and that part of that troubling was happening by Paul and his team teaching customs, which were not lawful for Romans to receive or observe. The, the accusation was that these Jewish men were teaching Jewish customs that were disrupting these Roman citizens' way of living and were in opposition to Roman law. But these accusations were false. These slave masters were trying to put Paul and Silas under the worst possible light so that the magistrates and everyone else in the marketplace would respond in outrage and and punishment without Paul and Silas being able to testify. And that's exactly what happened, as we'll see in verses 22 through 24. So continue on with me in verse 22. It says, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. What we don't see here is reasonable people responding to an accusation in a reasonable manner to make sure that these things were true and so that a just judgment could be delivered. No, instead... We see an unreasonable mob rise up in an unjust sort of mob frenzy and fury. The multitude that was there in the marketplace rising up against Paul and Silas. The magistrates tearing off these two men's clothing and commanding them to be beaten with rods. And understand that under Jewish law, there were limits in place when a punishment of, of, of beating would be handed out like we need to make sure that if we're going to beat somebody there's going to be a limit to it but when it came to roman people dealing with non-roman citizens it was almost like hey it doesn't matter we could do whatever we want these people are just under our domain they're under our rule and so when it says they beat them with many stripes we get the sense here that they just went off on these guys for who knows how long these rods being laid across the backs of Paul and Silas with just no reserve, no holding back, no mercy, like a Cobra Kai sort of moment, like show, yes, sensei, you know, like we don't show mercy, sweep the leg, Johnny, that kind of thing. They laid many stripes on these men. They were thrown into a prison where the jailer was commanded them, uh, commanded to keep them securely, which then caused the jailer to put them into the inner prison, which most likely was sort of the dungeon of the prison where they would fasten the prisoner's feet in stocks. And just to kind of give us a better feeling of what is going on here, this would have been some of the most terrible conditions for these men to be placed in. And, and they're placed into it at a moment of great need. You can imagine having 
being beaten with rods with no clothes on would leave you with open sores. And now you're being placed into a dungeon that likely at that point in time would have been uh, filled with different kinds of rodents and infestations, lots of germs. And, and now these men are being made to, to sit inside of this prison. Their feet are in stocks. And it's not just what we would picture where, you know, you just got a block of wood and there's two holes for your legs. These stocks had multiple holes in them so that it was not just a, a, an instrument of keeping a, a prison secure, it was an instrument to inflict greater torture. They would position the legs further out or in different angles in the wood so that it would cause the prisoner to be having their legs contorted in a way that would bring even greater discomfort. And the reason I say that is because it's good for us to have the right kind of picture in place so that when we see Paul and Silas sitting in their cell late at night, the gravity of how they respond to this can hit us in the right way. Because it wasn't like these men were just, you know, they just kind of gave them a couple love taps and they put them in a nice, cushy environment. They had nice beds to lay on. You know, they, were, they had a TV in there. They were getting fed nice meals. No, this was really, really bad. It's a really bad situation. And they're put in there with no sort of sense of security. Like, we're doing this to you? Don't worry. Just going to be for a little bit of time. Then we're going to let you out. I mean, at this point, Paul and Silas are placed in there thinking, we could be in here forever. We could be in here until we die. They could have something even worse planned for us. And I don't know about you, but when there's those sorts of uncertainties and you're in a, a desperate sort of place, your mind can go all kinds of places, making it so much worse for you than maybe even just your environment would require. But something interesting here is that while both Paul and Silas were Jews, it's very clear to us from what we've already read, they were also both Roman citizens, which means that they could have voiced that citizenship to the magistrates and actually avoided the beating and the imprisonment, but they didn't. I don't know about you, but if I had a surefire way to get out of something that was going to bring me a lot of discomfort, I would be screaming it. I'd be, I'd be like being drugged across the, you know, across the marketplace to the prison going, but I'm a Roman citizen. Like, you can't do this to me. It's actually illegal for you to treat me in this sort of way. Or is that just me? I think we'd all be doing that. What do you mean? And yet, they didn't do it. But why didn't they? You know, it, it doesn't seem likely that they just 
you know, they just didn't have the opportunity to speak up for themselves. I just don't see that here. I don't, I don't think that's a real plausible explanation. I think they had opportunity. It's far more likely that they were willingly allowing themselves to be beaten for the sake of Christ because they believed God could use this in greater ways for his kingdom and glory if they didn't fight against the punishment which he's going to use in what we'll see in the prison at night. I want us to understand right now that if these men had chosen comfort over affliction for the sake of Christ, the things that we're going to see in these following verses would have never happened. And we might be okay with that in one sense. Like, well, that's fine. I mean, maybe somewhere along the way, this jailer would have heard the gospel. Maybe something would have changed in his life. No, God cared enough about that jailer. He cared enough about the jailer's household to allow Paul and Silas to go through the things that they went through in order that the salvation of the whole household would come about. And I think about all the times that you and I go through things that we just don't know what the heck is going on. And there's things that God's teaching us and he's refining and he's working in us and yet there's this greater work that we can't see immediately. I don't think Paul and Silas were cued into that. I don't think they knew all the steps of what was gonna happen. Like we're gonna go in prison, this is gonna happen and then that's gonna happen. It's all gonna be great in the end. No, they trusted God with their present and their future. And because they trusted him, and they, they believed that God could bring about good even through something really bad, they allowed themselves to go through what they just went through, even though they could have avoided it. They could have gotten out of it. But something else that we'll look at later at the end of our study, it's also possible they allow themselves to be beaten so that afterwards, after this whole thing, that it would actually benefit the new believers in the city of Philippi and the new church that God was going to plant there as, the, as their Roman citizenship, citizenship came to light. But regardless of all that, God was going to use these unjust and painful circumstances for his glory. We're going to see that, especially as we begin to look at this next verse here. Verse 25 of Acts 16. It says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were worshiping God at midnight while everything was still dark, while their backs were still bloodied, while their feet were still in stocks, while they were still stuck in the dungeon, and while their futures were still uncertain. This is a powerful testimony to the grace of God being poured out upon these men in their time of need. 
grace and mercy to help in their time of need that they that they would have received as they came boldly to the throne of grace where the king of grace sits these men had a had a depth of joy that could not be stolen away by that unjust beating or being placed in the dungeon or by having their feet put in stocks because their joy was in their lord who was sovereign over their circumstances who was good no matter how bad things might have been outwardly and who was present no matter how dark or bleak things might have seemed presently listen to what charles spurgeon said about this he said it is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight but the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to to read by. He said, songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. When I read verse 25, and I read the verses that led up to this, I can't help but think, if I were in here, If this was me being placed in verse 25, what would this verse read about me? What would this verse describe me doing? And and on one hand, I would love to say the same. Praying and singing hymns to God, worshiping the Lord. But on the other hand, I know me. And I know how I respond to situations at times. What verse 25 might look like for my life or your life might be, and at midnight, they were complaining. At midnight, they were screaming at the jailer. At midnight, they were threatening to sue everybody's pants off in the city of Philippi. At midnight, they were pleading their case and how they were righteous and how all of this was unjust. At midnight... They were ugly crying in the corner. And I just wonder, like, what what would verse 25 read about us? What would it look like? What would it say? And you know what? We, We don't know until we're in those sorts of situations, honestly. But I can tell you that there is a grace There's a grace, there's a special grace that God pours out in affliction. That God pours out in suffering. That God pours out in opposition and difficulty. And it's there. And many of us have experienced that. Many of us have been recipients of that grace, of that mercy to help in our time of need. We could testify this morning that God has met us in some of the darkest moments in our life, that he was there, that he made himself real, that he brought comfort, that he gave strength, that he was working even when stuff was really, really hard. And maybe for us, it wasn't singing hymns to God at midnight but we can look back and see how God was still good even in those really hard things. 
you know, some of us may be facing some difficulty or opposition or suffering or uncertainty. Maybe for some today, you're feeling beaten down. And maybe things are just feeling dark and hopeless. You know, maybe you're wondering today how to move forward, how to face the things that you're facing, how to find healing and hope, how to get maybe just out of your own head and out of that place where maybe you just feel crippled or stuck because of uncertainty. Based upon Paul and Silas's example here of how they handled their situation, guys, no matter what we might be facing today, I want to encourage us to worship the Lord. To worship the Lord. And I know that when things are really hard or uncertain or we're going through a situation where we're hurt or we're dealing with suffering, that worshiping the Lord might be the last thing that we feel like doing. Because let's be honest, we don't always feel like worshiping the Lord. But worship can actually be a weapon against discouragement and hurt and hopelessness and uncertainty. And it might not make any sense to do that when everything is a mess, but that's exactly where God would call you and me to worship him. Guys, worship is a weapon, but it's also a welcome, welcoming the Lord, inviting the Lord into our circumstances as we remind ourselves of who he is and declare his greatness above our circumstances, worshiping him most importantly because he's worthy of our worship, worthy of our love, worthy of of our affection, worthy of our lives. Worship is a a weapon, It's it's a welcome, it's an invitation, but we also see that worship can be a witness. Notice in verse 25 that it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. I mean, I feel somewhat confident there probably had not been an instance where this jailer or other prisoners even had heard somebody at midnight singing praises to the Lord. It's very unlikely that it had ever taken place in this Philippian jail, especially not coming from that inner cell. They're listening. They're listening. And what a powerful witness that would have been to those other prisoners who were also dealing with their own circumstances, their own uncertainty, their own hopelessness, their own isolation, to hear Paul and Silas praying and singing to the Lord, no doubt declaring truths about God's ability to save and deliver and help. Singing songs of rejoicing, knowing These men are in the worst conditions possible, worse than even they were. And yet they're singing, they're seeking the Lord. It was a witness. And I think about that for our lives. And I know some of you that have gone through some really 
difficult seasons where you might go, gosh, I know I could have handled it better, but I've seen some of you go through suffering and go through hardships and you are clinging to the Lord. You're trusting in the Lord. It might not be singing hymns at midnight, but I've seen you still trusting the Lord in your difficulty and it's a witness It's a testimony to others, not just a witness in the sense of, well, you know, unbelievers might be watching my life and and maybe as I trust the Lord, they'll they'll see something different. There is that, but there's this aspect of witness that's, that's a testimony to other believers that when they grew through something hard, they can trust the Lord too. Guys, there is no pit so deep that God's grace cannot reach us. That his strength cannot be poured out to meet us. Paul and Silas, I think even unintentionally, were being used by the Lord in the lives of these other prisoners. They're just having their own moment with the Lord. They're just having their own little worship sesh right there. And man, there's a sweetness when we worship the Lord at those deep places of hurt. And God meets us there. And even for us today, those of you that are dealing with it, the Lord wants to meet you where you're at. to make your dungeon a house of worship, a place of healing, a place of grace. Verse 26, though, says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison Awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open. Guys, sleeping on the job. Supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. I believe this great earthquake was divinely orchestrated. It shook the foundations of the prison, but it didn't destroy the building. It caused all the prison doors to open and even caused the prisoners' chains to be loosed, but no one was harmed. The jailer had been sound asleep before the earthquake. He wakes up, sees all the prison doors open. He automatically comes to the conclusion all the prisoners must have left. I mean, why would they stick around? Take off. Like the dude's sleeping, doors are open. <laughs> Why would you stick around? So he decides, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my own life because he knew he would be held responsible as life could be ended by those in authority over them if prisoners had escaped. So he grabs a sword. He gets ready to kill himself. And this is a pretty intense scene here. But Paul, in the great display of the love and mercy of God towards this jailer who had put him in 
this inner prison cell with Silas fasten their feet in stocks. He calls out to the jailer with a loud voice and tells them, do yourself no harm for we are all here. See, the opening of the prison doors wasn't to set free Paul and Silas from their imprisonment. No, it was so that this jailer who was the only free one out of all of them outwardly would be truly set free and find salvation eternally. We aren't told that the jailer heard Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God at midnight. Maybe he was already asleep. Maybe he fell asleep at the singing. Oh, this is really nice. Take a little nap here. You know, maybe one of them actually had an okay singing voice. I, I picture them both sounding really terrible because, you know, just real life stuff. <laughs> you don't picture beautiful singing coming from like an inner cell. You're like, it probably sounded horrible. And they're hurt. They're hurting. Their backs are open. They're in stocks. It, it was probably pain singing. Like, Lord, I... Oh, God, oh, gosh. Like, you know, like, but how sweet that would have been. This jailer falls asleep. Maybe he missed that powerful testimony of their prayers and their songs, but he would not have missed this powerful display of the love and mercy of God through Paul to to seek to save his life, even though Paul and Silas could have easily just stayed silent and let the jailer do himself in as as payback but they didn't and this had a profound impact on this man as we're going to see in the next several verses and so picking up in verse 29 it says then he called for a light ran in and fell down before uh, fell down trembling before paul and silas and he brought them out and said sirs what must i do to be saved So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. This display of mercy, of care for this man's life, even though he was responsible for keeping them in this inner prison, motivated him to run into the cell, to to fall down trembling before these two men, bring them out of the prison cell and ask them, what must I do to be saved? Which shows us that this man now recognized that he was in need of saving. He believed that Paul and Silas had the answers to his desperate spiritual state being lost and unable to save himself. I think this man realized he was not the one who was free. I think he realized that Paul and Silas were not the ones that were really captives but that he was the one needing to be set free himself. But notice that they didn't give him a list of to-dos, all the actions, all the works he would need to accomplish before he could be saved. No, they responded with the one thing that was necessary, and that was that this jailer 
and all the rest of his household just needed to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, just needed to put their faith and trust in Jesus and that if they did that, they would be saved. And after telling them what was needed in order to be saved, we see that Paul and, Spy, uh, Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and the rest of his household, no doubt sharing more about who Jesus was, what he did, the grace and salvation and freedom that's found in him alone. And though we're not told explicitly that they believe, the fact that they were water baptized makes it clear that upon hearing the word of the Lord, and being given that invitation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that they did believe and were saved. And after receiving salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, this jailer and his household were then water baptized. And I think it's so cool that with both Lydia and this Philippian jailer, that, that both of them received Jesus' free gift of salvation along with their households, and then responded to that salvation by wanting to just be a blessing, welcoming these men into their homes, Lydia begging and persuading Paul and his team to come stay at her house. And now this jailer taking Paul and Silas and washing their wounds from being beaten with rods and then bringing them into his home where he fed them. And I love that we're told that after the jailer put food before Paul and Silas, that he rejoiced. He was filled with joy, a result of having believed in God with all his household. Rejoicing is the right response of a heart that's been touched, that's been saved, that's been redeemed by Jesus. But let's continue on and read verses 35 through 39. Verse 35, it says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have, let you, have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to, him, said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. It's unclear what caused the magistrates to want to have Paul and Silas released the next day. Maybe they thought that they had taught these Jewish men enough of a lesson by beating them and throwing them into the worst part of the prison for a night. But they thought that they were within their rights as Romans to do to non-Roman citizens whatever they wanted, except they didn't realize or know that Paul and Silas were actually both Roman citizens themselves. The magistrates send word to the jailer to have them released. The jailer then brought that message to, to Paul and Silas, told them to, to depart and go in peace. But, but Paul decided in this situation to now voice his, his and Silas's rights as Roman citizens, waiting until after being beaten 
and imprisoned for a night, wanting the magistrates to know that what they did was against Roman law and asking them to come personally and get them out. Which is interesting because this means that Paul and Silas returned at some point in the night back to the prison and that inner prison cell. My guess is to protect the life of the jailer who could have gotten in a lot of trouble for letting these men out or, to bring, or by bringing them into his home. But I like what Warren Wearsby wrote here. He said, Paul, however, was unwilling to sneak out of town for that kind of exit would have left the new church under a cloud of suspicion. People would have asked, who were those men? Were they guilty of some crime? Why did they leave so quickly? What do their followers believe? Paul and his associates wanted to leave behind a strong witness of their own integrity, as well as a good testimony for the infant church in Philippi. It was then that Paul made use of his Roman citizenship and boldly challenged the officials on the legality of their treatment. This was not personal revenge, he says, but a desire to give protection and respect for the church. They weren't going to leave the prison secretly to cover up what the magistrates did wrongly. But it's important to understand that they, they weren't doing this in order to really just kind of stick it to the magistrates as a form of payback. They, they didn't do it even to purely make a point regarding their rights as Roman citizens because, again, they could have voiced these things earlier and avoided the beating and imprisonment but didn't. But instead, they seemed to do this in order to benefit these new believers in the city of Philippi and the new church that was being planted as the leaders of the city are going to feel ashamed and become fearful once they find out that they beat uncondemned Romans and put them in prison, these things becoming a deterrent, I believe, to steer away strong opposition and provide some protection for these new Christians in Philippi. And even with Paul and Silas voicing their rights in this situation, notice that it wasn't to protect themselves or keep themselves from harm but to help protect the new believers that would be left behind in this city once they continued on in their missionary journey into other parts of Macedonia. So we see the magistrates coming in fear, pleading with them, bringing them out of the prison and, and asking them to depart from the city. Just please leave. <laughs> Just go. Like, we don't want you here. Which is interesting because even in places where Paul got to leave peacefully, like even in places where he didn't get to leave peacefully, I should say, like Pisidian Antioch or Iconium, where they chased him out of Pisidian Antioch when they found out that he was going to be sown, and then in Iconium, where he actually was, uh, or, or in sorry, in, in Lystra, where he actually was stoned, Paul still went back into those areas again. It was like, I know that you don't want me here. But God has a purpose. There's people here that he wants to get saved. I know that you hate my guts. I know that you hate that I'm about Jesus. I know, I know that you see me as a troublemaker, but that's not really 
where I'm coming from. The gospel is what's going to help people make peace with God. It's the gospel that brings peace between, between men and women and God. There's a, there's a damage there. Paul would write to the church in Corinth that, that they're pleading for, for others to be reconciled to God. Seeing that others are in a position of, of being estranged from the God who loves them and wants to save them and wants a, a relationship with them. And, and he was willing to put himself in harm's way in order to be that ambassador, that messenger of reconciliation, even if it meant, you know what, I'm going to have to go through some hard things. These were not pleasant things for Paul and Silas to go through, and yet, again, they let themselves go through these things. And, it, and I think for us, it, it doesn't register Maybe in some ways because we're so accustomed to just wanting to stay in our sort of comfortable lane and, and kind of keep to that self-preservation sort of mindset that we often have. But maybe even in these things that God is challenging us to go, look, you, you know what, you might, endure some hard things but maybe god would actually have a greater purpose in them while god didn't keep paul and silas from harm it's clear he was keeping them by his power in the midst of the things that they went through that he was sustaining them by his grace that he was delivering them in his own ways in his own timing and that he was working these things for their good and his eternal glory and the furtherance of his kingdom. But look at verse 40. It says, So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. They weren't willing to leave before seeing these new believers again and encouraging them. And, and it seems these new believers may have started holding their gatherings at Lydia's home as Paul and his team went to her house to see the brethren. So we've got Lydia and her household, possibly the formerly demon-possessed slave girl, this Roman jailer and his household, and these are who made up this newly formed church that was being planted in the city of Philippi. And these men who had just been beaten and imprisoned as they gathered with the brethren were told, encouraged them. So in spite of the beating and imprisonment, Paul and Silas continued to move forward, continued to look outward at those around them instead of getting inward focused. And, and turning inward and sort of becoming reclusive. They, they looked for opportunities to pour into other people. And that's what they did before departing for Thessalonica. They encouraged the brethren. And this is such a great example and continues to be such a great example for us as we go through this life, as we go through seasons of of ease and seasons of difficulty that God would make us an encouragement 
to other people, that he would make our lives a witness even when things are difficult. That God would be using us. But we also see here in verse 40 that the they's have returned as Luke is narrating this, as he's pinning all this down, which can mean that Paul and Silas and Timothy departed from Philippi, but that Luke stayed behind, at least for a time, very possibly to continue discipling these new believers. And though these were small beginnings, God was going to use this church. I mean, just read the book of Philippians. And we see the the sort of affection that Paul had for these believers. The way that Paul, 10 years later, writes from another imprisonment. Encouraging them. Even though he was the one that probably was in need of encouragement, being in prison, waiting to be seen by Caesar Nero. Paul was writing to them with a theme of rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Paul would write. God was doing something great in these small beginnings. And we see later on that the church was solid and healthy. And the Lord today is wanting to encourage us. Guys, no matter what we're facing, the Lord wants to make us a worshiping people in spite of our circumstances. You know, it's easy to worship the Lord after the trial has ended, right? It's easy to worship the Lord once everything gets easier. It's easy to worship the Lord when everything's going the way that you wanted it to. It's easy to worship the Lord when you're in that place of victory. And you're seeing God move in in really sweet ways. It's, It's easy to worship the Lord when you're seeing God answer your prayers the way that you're wanting him to answer them. But it's in those other times that God is wanting to still make us a worshiping people when the prayers are not yet answered, when you've not seen the thing resolved, when things are still difficult, when the opposition is still there, when the enemy is still attacking. Anybody going through spiritual warfare lately? Like, it's been heavy. Why is he coming against you and me? I can tell you what, he doesn't come against us as much when we're living a life of apathy. When we're just putting cruise control, when we're sitting back in our Christian lazy boy, and we're not taking steps of faith, and we're not really seeking to see the kingdom of God advance. In those times, You and I are not a threat to the kingdom of Satan. But God's doing something. He's working in these days. 
He's doing something in our lives. And guys, in the midst of things being hard, God wants to teach us how to be a worshiping people. First and foremost, foremost, because he's just, he's worthy of that. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy for us to declare his goodness, to declare his power. But again, those things, our, our worship can also be a weapon to fight off the discouragement, to, de- to fight off the hopelessness and the, the depression. It, it, our worship is a welcome. It's an invitation to say, God, come into my circumstances. Lord, be working right now. God, as we remind ourselves of who he is, that we would say, God, we need you in these things. But also recognizing that our worship, God wants to make our worship a witness, a testimony to those around us. As people see us and we share that, you know what? The Christian life is not an easy life. I'm going through hard things too. I've got some things going in my life. So we share those things, but we, we share those things in light of our trust in the Lord still declaring the goodness of the Lord. Those things are a powerful witness to other people. To go, you know what? Gosh, I want what they have. I want the peace that they have. I want the joy that they have. Guys, I believe that today the Lord wants to cause his joy to be our strength. We just read recently in the book of Nehemiah. And listen, he has a plan. When those men were in that cell, could have easily seemed like everything was out of control, that God was absent. And yet clearly in hindsight, he was not. He was not absent. And he was in control. He had a plan. He was working. Guys, will we learn from these things? Will we learn to trust the Lord even more? Not just when things are great, but even when they're they're at their darkest. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. You know, maybe as I was describing some of the things of, you know, what verse 25 might have might look like for you and me you know that maybe some of us are going through some hard things and 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 we're looking at this and and when we read paul and silas being in the inner cell and they're praying and singing hymns to the lord that maybe along with that could come some condemnation like oh man you know what i'm just not a good enough christian i'm not strong enough i'm not mature enough like i should be handling these things differently That's not from the Lord this morning. Can we grow? Can we learn to respond differently? Yeah, of course, and we should. But if your verse 25, if the verse 25 that you picture for yourself this morning doesn't look like Paul and Silas 
the Lord's not going, you stink as a believer. He's going, I'm here for you. I'm with you. I'm going to see you through this. I've got your back. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I want to help you in your time of need. I see what you're going through. I hear your cries. I hear your complaints. I hear your doubts. I hear your frustrations. And I love you. And I'm working. And I'm not going to stop working. And I hope for you today that you hold on to those things. You hold on to those things. Not because I'm just saying it because it sounds nice. These things are rooted in who our God is is and who we will who who he will who he will always be well nacho coming out or something there but look look it's true no matter how it comes out of my mouth it's true he is our rock and our refuge he's our fortress he's our strong tower Why would God describe himself in those ways to us? Because he knows we're going to have hard things happen. And we're going to need those sorts of pictures in our mind. And those sorts of reminders and promises to know that the God who's the fortress is the God who's saying, run to me. The God who's saying, I am your rock, is the God who's saying, you can stand upon me firmly and not be shaken. It's the God who became man and suffered so that you and I can know that our God knows what we're going through when we suffer. He's near. He's the one who heals the broken hearts and binds up their wounds. This is who our God is. And these things are meant to stir in us a greater place of trust, a greater heart of worship, a greater confidence in who our God is. And I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I've gone through some really difficult things. And I've come to a place at different points in my life where I really felt like it was one thing for me to pray something. I guess in my own heart before the Lord, I could tell the Lord that I trust him. But there have been moments in my life where I just really felt strongly that I, it couldn't just stay in my mind. I needed to speak it with my lips. Where I actually had to say out loud, even if it was just me in a room, me in a car, and tell God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And maybe some of you are in that place today. And I would encourage you that this morning, if that's you, to tell him, tell him, Lord, I trust you. And in those places where I don't, those places where maybe I'm lacking in faith, those places where I'm discouraged, 
those places where it's really hard and I don't know how you're working or what you're going to do, Lord, help me to trust you. God, give me a greater confidence in you. Can we do that this morning? Let's pray. Lord God, we just want to say thank you. And God, we want to tell you this morning, Lord, that we trust you. I just encourage you, just take a moment where you're at. And if that speaks to you this morning, if you, like me, have been in a similar place, I just encourage you out loud, just say, God, I trust you. I trust you. No one around you is going to look at you weird. Say, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, in those areas, God, where our trust is weak, Lord, you don't despise us. You don't cast us aside. Lord, you see us. You know the state of our hearts, Lord. You know, God, what's going on in our minds. And Lord, would you speak your peace into maybe the storm of our thought life, the storm of our situation? And God, maybe some today are feeling like their feet are in stocks. Things are uncomfortable. It's painful. It's dark. I don't know how things are going to work out. You're just trying to serve the Lord. You're trying to do what's right. And what you expect is that everything would work out right. And maybe that's not what you're present reality is and I just encourage you that God sees you where you're at and he's near to you and he wants to encourage you he wants to uphold you with his righteous right hand he wants to be your rock and your refuge and your shield and your defense he wants to be your strong tower he wants to be the lifter of your head the one who helps you in your time of need. I just encourage you today to go to the throne of grace. Go boldly to the king of grace because he has an unlimited supply of grace and mercy to help you. He wants to meet you. God, would you make us a worshiping people Lord, not just songs in the day, God, when everything can be seen clearly, but Lord, songs in the night. God, when everything seems uncertain, when everything's hard. God, when we're feeling discouraged, Lord, help us to trust in you. Lord, help us to worship you because, Lord, you're worthy. And God, would you lead us? Lord, lead us in these days. Lord, lead us in our times of victory. And Lord, lead us in times of struggle. Jesus, you're our shepherd. And Lord, we just continue to commit ourselves into your hands. 
Lord, just wanting to follow your lead. Lord, just wanting to stay close to you. And Lord, would you make our lives a witness to others? God, that as we trust you in the good and the bad, Lord, as we worship you in the good and the bad, Lord, that others would be drawn to you through our lives, Jesus. Jesus, be on our lips. Lord, that we would not be able to help but speak of you. Lord, we're thankful for your word this morning. God, Lord, would you ingrain these things in our hearts? Help us, Lord, to put them into practice in our lives presently and in the future. I just encourage you this morning, if that's anybody today, and you know what, you're just, you're going through some really difficult things. Maybe you'd be bold enough this morning to just stand where you're at. I could pray for you. If that's anybody, just like some prayer. Say, you know what, that's me. Yeah. Yep, I see you. Anybody else? Yeah. Lord, I pray for these that have stood this morning. God, you know what's going on in their lives. God, would you meet them? Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon them? God, would you give them wisdom on situations? Lord, give them grace. Lord, be their help. God, would you encourage? God, would you be glorified? And even the difficult things, Lord, that each are dealing with. Lord, would they see your hand? Would they sense your presence? God, be magnified in their lives. Lord, we pray that you administer to them today. Speak to the depths of their souls, Lord. Words that they need to hear from you. And we thank you, Father, for them. You guys can take a seat. If there's anybody else maybe this morning that you're going, look, like, I just need the Lord. <laughs> like, that's all great and great, glad that there's encouragement, but maybe you've come today and you don't even just first have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Know this morning that Jesus loves you. He died on a Roman cross for you. He wants to give you forgiveness and new life and hope. If that's anybody here, would you stand where you're at today? That's you. Maybe some joining us online even that you're saying that's you this morning. Maybe you're standing where you're at. I just encourage you. Just to say in your own heart, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, I believe you're my savior. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. Jesus, I put my trust in you this morning. Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you. Would you forgive me and cleanse me? 
Would you give me the righteousness of Jesus in my account? And seal me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for saving me. And would you empower me to live for you? I just encourage you, if you've done that this morning, maybe you, like the jailer, had said before, what must I do to be saved? And that's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Lord, as we respond now to your word, God, the challenge, the encouragement to be a worshiping people, Lord, will we be able to put that into practice, Lord, in the songs that we sing to you even now? As we partake of the communion elements, God, remembering the broken body of Jesus that was nailed to the cross, his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, would you help us to worship you? To worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you, Lord. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.